Well, folks, grab your Bibles and open them to Job chapter 28. That's where we're going to be this morning. Uh, if you're the kind of person that likes to take notes, get your notebook, get your pen, uh, as we look at this great chapter of Job. For those of you that are joining us for the first time, let me just fill you in on what's been happening. Um, the book of Job is about a good godly man called Job who suffered unimaginable pain. He lost all his money. He lost his livelihood, his job. Worst of all, he lost all of his children. All 10 of them died. And he is left with this debility and horrible skin disease that isolates him from everyone. And the vast majority of the book is a poetic dialogue between Job and three of his friends. Uh, and in the book, they are known as miserable comforters because these friends give Job the worst comfort and the worst advice possible. In fact, from chapter 3 all the way through to chapter 26, the friends have been speaking and Job has been responding to them. And what they've basically been saying is, Job, you are a sinner. You must have done something terrible. And God is allowing you to suffer as an act of punishment. So you need to repent and you need to turn back to him. Now, from reading the opening chapters of Job, we know that's not true. And that's not why God allowed Job to suffer. But these friends are convinced that they have all the wisdom and that they know exactly what's happening. And every time Job has responded to them, he has um, maintained his innocence, but also expressed the hurt and the confusion he feels as to why God would allow this to happen to him. Now, as you read the friends' speeches, and I gather we're missing out... Um, I know that we're missing out a lot of chapters here. We've only got 10 weeks and we want to try and get a good overview of the whole book, which is 42 chapters long. So all the bits that we haven't read, it's definitely worth going and reading them yourself. And you'll see when you read uh, the friends' speeches, as they start off quite long and eloquent, but as they go on, they get more and more frustrated with Job and their speeches get shorter and shorter until eventually, at the end of chapter 26, they just stop speaking altogether. And from chapter 27 through to chapter 31, Job is now going to give his final defense. But in chapter 28, the whole tone changes. And we get what I think is probably the most important chapter in the entire book. Chapter 28 does not seem to be spoken by Job. It, it, it seems like a little interlude that the author of Job himself has put in, in which he's saying to us, right, let's, let's stop. Let's stop and think for a minute. We have had 27 chapters of speeches and no one has been able to produce any answers or anything satisfactory. Why is that? What is missing from Job's friends that Job needs? And the answer chapter 28 will tell us is wisdom. That is what we're going to think about today, wisdom. So let's read it. Chapter 28. Uh, the poetry is a bit confusing, but hopefully it'll make sense as we walk through it. There is a mine for silver and a place where gold is refined. Iron is taken from the earth and copper is smelted from ore. Mortals put an end to the darkness. They search out the farthest recesses for ore in the blackest darkness. Far from human dwellings, they cut a shaft. In places untouched by human feet, far from other people, they dangle and sway. The earth from which food comes is transformed below as by fire. Lapis lazuli comes from its rocks and its dust contains nuggets of gold. 
No bird of prey knows the hidden path. No falcon's eye has seen it. Proud beasts do not set foot on it and no lion prowls there. People assault the flinty rocks with their hands and lay bare the roots of the mountains. They tunnel through the rock. Their eyes see all its treasures. They search the sources of the rivers and bring hidden things to light. But where can wisdom be found? Where does understanding dwell? No mortal comprehends its worth. It cannot be found in the land of the living. The deep says, it is not in me. The sea says, it is not with me. It cannot be bought with the finest gold, nor can its price be weighed out in silver. It cannot be bought with the gold of Ophir, with precious onyx or lapis lazuli. Neither gold nor crystal can compare with it, nor can it be had for jewels of gold. Coral and jasper are not worthy of mention. The price of wisdom is beyond rubies. The topaz of Cush cannot compare with it. It cannot be bought with pure gold. Where then does wisdom come from? Where does understanding dwell? It is hidden from the eyes of every living thing, concealed even from the birds in the sky. Destruction and death say, only a rumour of it has reached our ears. God understands the way to it. And he alone knows where it dwells. For he views the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. When he established the force of the wind and measured out the waters, when he made a decree for the rain and a path for the thunderstorm, then he looked at wisdom and appraised it. He confirmed it and tested it. And he said to the human race, The fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to shun evil, is understanding. Let me pray and we'll look at this great chapter together. Father, we ask for your help. Father, what we have just read is not just an ancient poem. It's not just words on paper. This is your word, what you have to say to us. And we cannot understand it without your help. So we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would teach us your word, that you would speak to us through this. Father, we want what we cannot find ourselves and it's what we desperately need. So we ask that you would give it to us. Would you give us wisdom? Would you show us where wisdom can be found? And would that be the anchor that holds us in the storm of suffering, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know if you've ever spent a lot of energy desperately searching for something that you know you need. Uh, it could be that you're about to go on holiday, you've gone through the checklist, everything's packed, you're just about to go out the door and you've realised you forgot your passport. So you're overturning the house, you're looking everywhere, desperate to find this passport so that you could go on holiday. Or um, more, more recently for myself, uh, I managed to lose my wedding ring. So I don't know how I managed that on a lockdown. So we spent the entire day, everyone in our house, just overturning everything, desperately searching for this ring because it was so important to me. Well, when it comes to, when it comes to suffering and pain, there is one resource that we desperately need and we, we must search for in desperation, and it's wisdom. It's what's been lacking 
So far from Job's friends, from his comforters, there has been no wisdom in their speech and it's what Job himself desperately needs. Now, before we go and look at what chapter 28 says about our pursuit, our search for wisdom, we've got to ask ourselves, what is wisdom? Uh, You see, wisdom uh, is often defined as kind of, I guess, the ability to make the right choices. So I've heard the illustration of the difference between wisdom and knowledge. I've heard an illustration that goes like this. Knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit. But wisdom is knowing not to put the tomato in a fruit salad. So that that kind of ability to make um, the right choices, that is a part of it. But wisdom is, is bigger than that, I think. Wisdom is the ability to live correctly in God's world. Wisdom is about understanding. You notice in the poem, wisdom and understanding go together hand in hand. So it's understanding who we are, why we are here. It's understanding who God is, what he is like. It's understanding what this world is like. So yes, that affects the decisions we make. It it affects the way that we speak. It affects how we behave There is a wise way to live and there is a foolish way to live. So being wise is not about being smart. Being wise is is about living rightly. And this is why wisdom has everything to do with suffering. Because if we don't understand God, if we don't understand ourselves, and if we don't understand this world and how it functions, then we are just left stumbling in the dark in our suffering. We need We need an answer. We need some sort of answer. The book of Ecclesiastes says that um, wisdom puts eyes in your head. It helps you to, to see the world correctly. And we need to understand the order of this world. How it's run. Wisdom addresses the questions that we have in suffering. It's not the trite, pat, religious answers, the likes of which we've heard from Job's friends, in which there's no wisdom. It's, it's understanding. Don't, don't we want to understand how this world in which the innocent can suffer is governed? We are searching for answers. We are searching for wisdom. So to that end, uh, this poem in chapter 28 tells two important truths about our quest for wisdom and understanding. And these are the two points that we're going to look at today. The first point is this. Wisdom is essential and priceless, yet no human being can ever find it. Second point, wisdom is essential and priceless, and God knows where to get it. So, first point, wisdom is essential and priceless, yet no human can find it. Let's look through this. Um, Look, this is so important. It's not... It's not suffering that, that will destroy you. It's suffering without a purpose. We, we need some sort of understanding here. But here's the problem. We, we, we can't find it. And so in chapter 28, the author begins by, by celebrating the ingenuity of mankind. Our ability to find things, our, our technological advancements. Now, bear in mind, this book is thousands of years old. So he's not going to be talking about building computers. But instead he focuses on mining. 
Humanity is able to dig deep and to bring forth precious jewels uh, that were previously hidden to bring them forth from the earth. Verse 1, there is a mine for silver and a place where gold is refined. Iron is taken from the earth and copper is smelted from ore. So we can dig through the deep darkness of the earth and we can bring out these precious resources. Verse 6, lapis lazuli comes from the rocks. Um, I have no idea what that is. Apparently, I think it could be translated as sapphires. Um, They come from the rocks. The dust contains nuggets of gold. And so we can find these precious things. It's incredible. It's one of the the many things that that marks off humanity as as different to animals. The the ability we have to do this. The the technology that we have to do this. Verse 7 and 8 speak of the fact that the keen eyes of a birds of prey like a falcon cannot do this. They cannot find this. The, The roaming of a mighty lion could not find what we can find. When it comes to the hidden resources and the precious jewels of this planet, human beings can lay bare the rocks of the mountains and we find it. And look at uh, how verse 10 and 11 celebrate our ability to find these hidden things. They tunnel through the rock, their eyes see all its treasures. They search the sources of rivers and bring hidden things to light. Why is our author telling us about the ability that mankind has to to find jewels in the earth. Well, he's telling us this to make the point of verse 12. Think about all the achievements of mankind. Think about how we're able to discover these hidden things. Jewels in the earth, or or maybe in, uh, in more modern terms, think about how we're able to study something like the human cell or the human genome. To examine bacteria and viruses and and to come up with cures for these things. To explore the dark side of the moon. Stuff that was once hidden but through technology we can now see. But for all our achievements and for all our searching there is one thing that we cannot find. Wisdom. Where is wisdom to be found? Where does understanding dwell? We can work out how certain things in creation work, but we can't work out why. There is much we can know about this life, but the one thing no one can tell you in your suffering and your pain is why. Why is, is this happening to me? Why is this world so broken like this? Why did I have to go through that? See, the illustration of somebody mining is a good one, isn't it? Because I think it also describes the experience of Job. Look at verse 3 and what it says there. What's it like to mine for these precious jewels? Mortals put an end to the darkness. They search out the farthest recesses for ore in the blackest darkness. Far from human dwellings, they cut a shaft in places untouched by human feet. Far from other people. They dangle and sway. A miner is someone in the dark, all alone, swinging on these ropes, clawing away, hammering away at the earth, looking for something they know to be precious. Well, Job 
in his suffering feels like he is in the dark. He is all alone, clawing away, desperately trying to find some answers. There is wisdom. There is understanding. But he can't find it. We can't find it. And yet we simply must find it. Because wisdom is more precious than anything else on earth. Look at verse uh, 17. Neither gold nor crystal can compare with it, nor can it be had for jewels of gold, coral and jasper are not worthy of mention. The price of wisdom is beyond rubies. The topaz of Cush cannot compare with it. It cannot be bought with pure gold. I have no idea what the topaz of Cush is. Um, it must have been something that was precious and um, priceless. Maybe we could uh, compare it to the whiskies of Isla. Um, but whatever you have, however, amount, however much money you have, however many precious jewels you have, our poet is telling us here that none of that compares to having wisdom. You can have everything you want in life, but if you don't have wisdom, you've got nothing. You can know how parts of the world work, but more precious than knowing how is knowing why. This search for understanding, this search for meaning, this search for answers, this is what we need. We need to know that there was a reason, that there is something behind our suffering and our pain. We need meaning, we need purpose. That's why it doesn't make sense for, for people to say, well, I can't believe in God because of suffering. I mean, it is hard. Job is wrestling through this. But to say that we can't find meaning, so we just abandon it, that doesn't solve the problem. That makes it worse. If we were to be consistent, then that would mean we'd have to say, well, there is no meaning. It was the atheist writer Christopher Hitchens who said this to the dumb question, why me? The cosmos barely bothers to return the reply. Why not? That in no way helps the pain and suffering. And we can't find these answers a lot of the time because we're looking to ourselves for the answers. And we fall short. So some of us search desperately and despairingly like that miner hanging on the ropes down the mine shaft in the darkness but when we look to ourselves we will never find the precious jewel of understanding so so we can just abandon the search some of us just abandon it forget about it or we can just play let's pretend let's pretend that everything is all right that we don't need understanding it's like you know how um in this um, pandemic and the lockdown these celebrities got together and uh, to sing John Lennon's Imagine. Now, I know we've got some hardcore Beatles fans in Charleston, but I've got to say that song is just terrible because it's, it's just nothing. It's just froth. Celebrities in their mansions singing Imagine Having No Possessions. It's not real, is it? 
Imagine there's no heaven above us, no hell below. Imagine no religion. Imagine everyone getting on. It's easy if you try. Well, it is easy, isn't it? We can bask in the ignorance of folly and play, let's pretend. But it's only easy up until the point that you find your world starts to fall apart. Then you realise that the bubble of let's pretend has been burst. We've got nothing. Oh, we need answers. We need to understand. We need wisdom. We need something that's real and true. It doesn't matter how much stuff you've got in your life. It won't buy you wisdom. It won't give you what you need to endure through your suffering. And and Job has been crying out for it. This is not the... Job's cries are not the discussion down the pub where, uh, where they're asking, where is God in suffering? This is the person sitting by the hospital bed having lost a loved one, praying out to God. Why? We need understanding. But... Verse 21, it is hidden from the eyes of every living creature. Job has been crying out why and where has it left Job? On top of an ash heap, cutting his sores with a piece of broken pottery, surrounded by three foolish friends accusing him of stuff he didn't do. He needs answers. But as we see here, although we cannot provide those answers, the search is not hopeless. You see, the first step in getting wisdom is admitting that we cannot find it. We don't need try answers, but we also don't need people saying there's no answer. We cannot look to humanity to help us. We are so grateful at the moment for all that are helping us in this crisis we're so grateful for our key workers but our hope ultimately is not in them our hope is not in the nhs our hope is in god the maker of heavens of the heavens and the earth and if we are to have wisdom then we need to start taking our eyes off ourselves and looking to him you see if this poem just ended in verse 22 with destruction and death saying that they had only heard a rumour of wisdom. If it just stopped there, then it's all pointless. We're just left swinging in the dark, crawling at the rocks with no answers. But the poem doesn't end there. We will not find wisdom, but God knows where to find wisdom. And this is the second point. Wisdom is essential and priceless, and God knows where to get it. Look at verse 23. God understands the way to wisdom, and he alone knows where it dwells. So the author, the poet here, doesn't tell us that um, where wisdom is. Rather, he points us to the one who knows where wisdom is. The author of wisdom, God himself, only he views the ends of the earth. Only he sees everything under the heavens. And what seems like chaos to us is under his control. So in verse 25 to 26, he gives an example of that using the weather. Think about the weather. It can seem random and chaotic, especially here in Scotland. Uh, I I came in here and it was sunny. Honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if I went outside and there was hailstones. 
It can bring blessing. We need it. We need the rain. We need the weather to survive. And it can bring destruction. But it is not random. God dictates it all. He decides the force the wind is going to be. He measures out the oceans like like somebody gathering them in a measuring jug. He decides where every single drop of rain will fall and he creates paths by which the thunderstorms will walk. It is God who is in complete control. It is not random. It is not chaotic. The universe is in submission to his authority. And so wisdom is what God appraises. It's what he confirms. It's what he has tested. It's what he knows. Wisdom is his crown jewel. Wisdom is about understanding his world. Christopher Ashe, um, in his commentary on Job, which I've referenced a few times in this series because I found it so helpful, uh, he makes the point that wisdom is like the architecture of the world. So Proverbs chapter 3 says that the Lord established the earth by wisdom. This is how the world is ordered. But what our poet does here in chapter 28 is get us not to look for answers in the architecture, but instead to look at the architect. Come to him. If you want wisdom, that is what you must do. Verse 28 This is the first time that God has spoken in these speeches. Verse 28. God said to the human race, The fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to shun evil is understanding. That is the most important verse in Job. I don't know if you remember way back when we did chapter 1. That's how Job was described. A man who feared God and shunned evil. And so we see even just from from this verse that that Job has been vindicated. He is the example to, to follow. But we also see what does Job need to keep doing? He needs to keep fearing God, keep shunning evil. Wisdom is not found in a location but in the Lord. That means that there there are answers, there is a purpose, and he alone knows. Now, that does not mean that he will tell us all the answers that we want. But when you come to him and understand the one who is in charge of this world, you realise that he is what we need to know. He's what we need to know. We cry out, why? Job has been crying out, why? And read the book of Psalms, they're all crying out, why? But wisdom will draw us to ask an even deeper question, and that's who? Who is the God who governs the world this way? And when you see him, and when you start to grasp who he is, when you you fear him, you will start to become wise. And one of the fruits of that wisdom will be accepting that you cannot know all the answers because you are limited. But you can trust in the one who is unlimited. Fear God. I think the entire book of Job is is trying to lead us there in our suffering. We must fear God. Now, now what does that mean? Some of you might be hearing that for the first time thinking, whoa, what what is that? I thought thought God loved me, you know. Um, You might be a young Christian thinking, what's this idea of fear got to do with God? 
I thought God was, was my heavenly father. How do I fear someone that I'm also supposed to love? Well, we need to understand what this means. Fearing God does not mean being afraid that somehow he's going to lash out and hurt us and we, we are just in this constant state of cowering. It's important to understand that for the Christian, fearing God does not mean fearing his anger or judgment. We never need to fear that because Jesus has taken that uh, on himself in our place. But to fear God means this. It means to be filled with a sense of awe and reverence and trembling at how great and how good he is. Fearing God means treating God as if he is God. Not some imaginary friend. He's bowing before his sovereignty. He's acknowledging his power. It's accepting that this is his world and it's all about him. It's having respect and reverence for who he is. It's seeing him in all his perfection. Like God is, um, God is so good that it's scary. Uh, think of um, the Apostle Peter. You know when he first met Jesus. When he saw the power of Jesus. And, and he realised something about who Jesus was. You know what he said to Jesus? He said, depart from me Lord. I am a sinful man. See, Peter was afraid. He was afraid because at that moment he realised that he was a sinner in the presence of a good and holy God. The good news of the Bible, though, is that this God doesn't drive sinners away. He calls them into himself. And so fearing God, it's just about having this bigger picture of him and the smaller picture of ourselves. And boy, do we need that in suffering. Suffering has a tendency to shrink our world, to draw us into ourselves, to, to make us introspective, to make it all about us and to view God as just distant and far away. But we need to see, we need to see the bigger picture, the bigger reality of who God is. Oh, it's painful. Make no mistake, it is painful. Job really did fear God and he shunned evil and he has been hurting, he is confused and it's just agony. But he never lets go of God. He needs to hold on to him and we do too. And the best way that we can learn to fear God today as Christians, the best way that we can learn to fear God and, and to learn wisdom is to look to Jesus. Do not think that Jesus minimises the fear of God. Well, Jesus removes the fear of judgment, but he should magnify and enhance the fear of the Lord. Every attribute of God is magnified through his son. So when we look at Jesus, we see the clearest revelation, the clearest answer to that who question. And that's why Colossians 2 verse 3 says that in Jesus are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. We look to him. And so when we look at him, we, we might not know why in our pain, but we do know who. We do know what he is like. We, we know that, that, that he is good. And when we fear him, when we live with him at the centre of our lives, it gives us that wisdom we need to anchor our souls. Because here's what I know about him. I know that he loves me. 
I know that he is good. I know that he is in control. And no matter what happens, when I fear God, I know that I am safe. See, that fearing God doesn't mean hiding from a harsh taskmaster who's about to crack the whip. It means trusting in a good, all-powerful, majestic Father. When we fear God, we don't run from him, we run towards him. Putting our lives completely in the hands of the one who knows and governs all things. That's why Proverbs 14 verse 26 says that those who fear the Lord have a secure fortress. We are trusting in his goodness and love. And when I see Jesus, that that goodness and that love is just magnified to the scale of eternity. When I see who he is, when I see his wisdom, he helps us understand, doesn't he? He helps us understand ourselves as sinners who have fallen short of the glory of God, as sinful people who deserve to be judged and punished for our sins. But he also draws us to understand him as the one who bled and died for the punishment of our sins. The one who took the anger we deserve upon his own shoulders as he was crucified so that we could be forgiven and so that we could be raised to new life and adopted into God's family for all eternity. That is the wisdom of the cross. You see, God used the most horrendous act of suffering possible, the crucifixion of his son, he used that to achieve the greatest thing that's ever happened in the history of the universe, the salvation of our souls. That's the wisdom of the cross. And that is why we can trust him When he says to us that the suffering that we experience now is never pointless. We might not get the answers. We probably won't ever get the answers that we want to those why questions. But it's as Paul says, our light and momentary afflictions are preparing for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. When we look at the wisdom of God in Jesus... We know we can trust him. So what is Job 28 telling us? It's telling us we need wisdom. It's telling us we need understanding. But it's also telling us that we can't find it in this world. We are in the dark mine shaft. But there is light. There is one place we must run to. Or rather one person we must run to. Jesus. He is the architect. He is the suffering servant. He is the saviour. He is the king. He is the one in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And although we often don't get answers to the why, we can see who. And only by seeing who he is will we know how completely and wonderfully trustworthy he is. Let me pray. Father, we need wisdom. The fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to shun evil is understanding. Lord, we suffer, we cry out for answers, we want to know why. 
And if we look to ourselves, we will just be left short. But help us to look to you. And although we may not get the answers to the why questions, we get an answer to the who question. And so help us to fear you, to trust you, to revere you, to have you at the centre of our lives. So that no matter what happens to us, we have something solid that we are holding on to. And we know you, we know that you are good. We know that you love your children. We know that you are sovereign and in control of all things. Even though we have no idea why certain things happen to us. We do know you. So please give us the wisdom to fear your name and to hold on to you at all costs. That is more precious than any jewels, than anything this world has to offer. We thank you for that. We thank you for the wisdom of the cross, for the wisdom of our Saviour who has rescued us from our sins. It's in his name we pray. Amen.